Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Parlay Over Pints. I'm your host, Nick, and today I'm joined by a good friend of mine, Robert Smart. How we doing, everybody? Hey, yes. So, Rob works for Shaw Supermarkets, and his title is a Journeyman Butcher. So, let's dive into that a little bit here. All right. So, working in retail, right? Yes. What has been the most beneficial skill you've gained or refined while working in the industry? I mean, aside from the obvious given, which would be face value, uh, picking up a trade and a skill. Sure. As the saying goes, the skills pay the bills. So um, <laughs> having the butcher skill uh, is what would be the given thing. But I guess for me personally, the one thing that has stood out and still remains the most prevalent and beneficial thing that I've picked up along the way is the people-to-people interaction day-to-day. Okay. And uh, just the element of humanity and extra patience that it gives you that that you are expected to command at all times. Ah, Um, When you begin your shift, you leave your personal baggage at the door. Who you are in your side life, your own personal life, um, whether you're a father, parent, whatever... Sure. That's not who you are on the retail end of it. Right, right. So when you start that day, it's a game face. You know, yeah. you are you are Rob the Butcher, kind and pleasant no matter what. And uh, I think just having that training and uh, that particular approach, whether it's retail or anything else, having that extra second of reprieve and humanity for who you're talking to, because right. you don't know. You don't know what you're you walking into. Know. Yeah. That would be, I mean, if I walk away with it, I keep that more than anything. Okay. I'll always have that, you know, extra second of just hearing someone out so I understand what I'm getting into, how to talk to them. Right, um, right. Really helps you out in your day-to-day talk. Yeah, I imagine. So, um, I don't know, it's funny that you started with that because uh, going to be touching on that quite a bit, right, I think, cool, in, cool. This, uh, in this, but uh, before we get to that, uh, what uh, kind of, what kind of attracted you to the meat department in particular? Like why, why did you choose that route as opposed to a different department? Well, there was uh, a couple things to consider when, um, when I was approached, because initially, most people that get into the meat department, it's kind of a a hard department to get into. Yeah, right. Um, right. It's more or less uh, you kind of have to be proven to have a little bit of a hustle in your step. You know, you can't sure. be a boot dragger. You can't be someone that isn't coming in on a consistent basis, ready to move. Yeah, must so, have a work ethic yes. in place oh, there, beforehand. There has right. to be an established work ethic. Mm, yes, sure. So uh, I, they approached me after about a month and a half of working for the company because I had expressed interest in leaving. Um, I liked my job. I liked the people that I worked with, but being a lifelong ADD kind of guy, you know, and just my attention span is only so limited. I couldn't pull cans forward on a shelf all day, eight hours a day, even though it was paying and all that. So I said that I was interested in leaving and they were not willing to lose someone who had as much hustle, so to say. So they approached me and said, Hey, we have a spot open in the meat department. Um, would you be interested in giving this a shot? 
uh, one of the initial things was uh, a lifelong fat kid. So I'm like, all right, cool. Cold weather. Yeah, get me in there. Great. That's I'm in a refrigerated environment. That's perfect because nice. I sweat in 70 degrees, you know. <laughs> yeah. But the other factor of it was I was always told that meat department pays the highest. When you look at your pay uh, scale yes. for um, highest paid employees in a grocery store, the highest paid employees are always your store director and your managers, and then immediately followed by meat cutters, right, and then right. your assistant managers. Oh, um, no. I, at one point, was making more than anyone in the deli department. At a, it, This includes all levels of employment in the deli department at our store. Man. And uh, that was at, at four years into my butcher uh, career. So wow. it, it was more or less the pay scale, you know. I was starting sure. out, I was just about 20, 21 when I started working there. Right. Um, oh, I was 21, yeah. And, you know, I was just moving into a new place with my new girlfriend who had a young kid of her own and I'm trying right. to establish myself as a successful figure in yeah. a supportive role so that naturally I was drawn to that and totally kind of yeah. walked with it from there I mean I never really saw a reason to switch to another department I mean if I'm sure. getting paid good enough if not yeah. better to do something that I like in I an environment that I and like you like it yeah by all means it's huge so, yeah so that's what really drew me in okay okay so would you say that, um, this is kind of a little offshoot here, um, mm -hmm. but has the knowledge you've gained affected, or the knowledge that you've gained consequently affected your cooking style because of your knowledge of... Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I don't want to say, like, going into it, I was completely blind to how meat and meat department stuff worked. Sure, okay. But... I was such a novice with the meat that I, I didn't even know what the percentiles on the packages of burger meant. Oh, I had no yeah, idea. What, right. I didn't even know what that meant, you know? And right. I mean, now that's like, that's basic level knowledge, yeah, you know? Right, so, totally. But I never knew. I never so, had any exposure. Yeah, and who really so, thinks about that kind so of now, thing? Oh, yeah, but I mean, now that I know, and I know what goes into each piece, um, what pieces are used for what, because you're expected to be able to essentially cook everything that you provide. Right, that's what that's, that was uh, interesting. There's, yeah. there, that's part of your training and knowledge, and I always try to imply that when I start training someone else on how to cut meat, is uh, knowing what each piece is used for. Because it's one thing to be able to cut the piece, but if I cut you a steak and you ask me how to cook it, and I say, oh, well, I don't know, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. that's kind of a bad look. I don't sure. really, you're not sure. going to think I'm a professional. Um, yeah, right. It, it's just not good for business. So having the knowledge of how to cook each thing that you're cutting is definitely essential. And I definitely carried that over in the, some of the recipes that I've learned. Um, a lot of the things that I cook that I consider to be basic, when I start telling them as a, in the form of a recipe to other customers, they start, well, whoa, 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 hold on there. What do you mean you build your own sauce first? And, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. which... I, I mean, I think the best Alfredo sauce you build by yourself. You don't oh, buy it in a jar. Come on. It's too oh, much man. sodium in the yeah. stuff in a oh, jar. Oh, it's so true, man. Yeah. So um, yeah, that's the only way I could make my wife happy. So <laughs> yeah. a little extra effort yeah, uh, goes a long way. So true. But absolutely knowing what you're handling is 
abs invaluable when it comes to cooking. So right. definitely, definitely helped me out on that aspect. Yeah, that totally makes sense too. And I figured that was the case. Mm -hmm. Also, just giving opened your... a lot of doors that you know I didn't even know I, I could possibly do. Right. So. The, I mean, anybody can cut a hot dog into an octopus shape, but I mean, you know, <laughs> knowing eight different ways to cook a hot dog. Is right, no, that's, a, that's another level. <laughs> so uh, what would you say is the most challenging thing working in the meat department specifically? The most challenging thing I would say hmm. um, is adapting to the ever-changing environment. Mm. Not only as far as okay. the prices of what I'm trying to sell to people, but the level of steps that we have to take behind the scenes that you don't see. Right. Um, there's a lot of, we have a saying when we're training someone in meat department, there's the whole job is easy, but there's a million little hard things that you have to remember along the way. Right. Um, and if you don't remember them, they're crucial, crucial things. You have to grind. You have to log every single piece of anything that you grind ever. Right. There's a certain cycle and way that you have to do these things, and if you don't do them right, it's actually a federal offense. Wow. And Jeez. which you guys would never know no and all joke. that. Yeah, but right. I mean, people totally. wonder why most of their burger comes in prepackaged. Right. It's a liability thing. It's a thing that oh. Shaw's wants to have as little hands-on on such a risky thing. And all companies are starting to follow this suit because you E. coli outbreaks sure. and all these other things. The more that we can say, hey, we didn't make it. We just put a label on it and give it to you and someone else made it. Right. The less our butt is exposed. Yeah, so to say, for sure. You know? for so, sure. Which is difficult in itself because you get a lot of older customers that I've been serving since back in like 2013, you know, 2012 where we were making all of our hamburger by scratch from right. hand every day. And they were used to that almost like a hometown approach. They knew my name. Yeah. They knew what I was putting into the burger because yeah. I was cutting it from this steak that they bought every day for whoever, you know, right. a, lot, right. a lot of tradition into it. So there's the learning aspect on that end for me. And then trying to reiterate that and explain that to my yeah. customers as well. And right. you, you lose a lot of value and, person-to-person -person interaction with that yeah, but I still get to wrap meat in paper so at least that has that old yeah kind of feeling, you know? <laughs> yeah yeah that's interesting too I, I guess I hadn't even realized that that oh, yeah. was sort of there's a lot taking of place you know it's policies that we try to shield the customers sure. from you know like right, right they want every single family pack to be over three pounds that's the ex all the time you know and they want you to push the family packs but they don't come into, uh, they don't take into effect Johnny Corporate or Johnny Shaw's or whoever right, who's coming sure. up with these policies. That a lot of our clientele are people that are coming in and they've got food stamps, they've got their EBT card, and they've got mm. their SNAPS benefits. That's right. all they have for the month. It, uh, a lot of people that are retired and their significant other just recently passed away or something. Right. So they're just feeding themselves. They don't need all that food. They don't need yeah. three and a half to five pounds of hamburger. They don't care if it's two ninety nine a pound. <laughs> right. they're, they're not going to use it all before it goes bad. And then they're going to feel bad. They're going to feel like they wasted their money. And they get frustrated. And that ultimately drives your customers away. Right. Which is bad for my business. Because sure. if you're not buying my stuff, you're buying it from Hannaford's. 
you're not putting hours on the board for me to get paid. Right. And so I want you to come to my store. I want you to have that positive interaction and to feel secure in what you're buying. Mm. But there's only so many policies I can shield you from. Right. So we bend the rules a little bit, you know, like a little two and a half pound family pack here and there. Yeah, hey, I'll get you guys. Which, yeah, yes, they do sla- you know. They do catch on and slap my hands for that. But, I mean, you know, I'm kind of willing to take the slapping at this point just to... Yeah. Just to please some people. Well, it's a customer thing, too. It right? is a customer thing. And it's thing. like, hey, and man, if you're making them happy. No matter then... what rule they throw at you at the end of the day, the number one thing that you're taught from the beginning, no matter what level of the store that you're at, is the customer comes first. No matter what you have to do, make them happy. Make them want to come back again. Right. Positive experience. Right. And then um, there's all the other rules that they'll spank you with later. But yeah. you follow that number one rule, first, and right. you're always all right. That's the car. At least rule. I've been okay so far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Worked for me. Man. Yeah, it worked yeah. for me. So, hey. Yeah. Well, that's actually a perfect segue into uh, next question here. All right. Uh, so, interacting with the public. Yes. What do you find to be the most frustrating aspect of this? The most frustrating thing for me is the lack of understanding of the ever-changing meat environment. We kind of briefly touched on this with the the last one, I think, where it's um, there's so many things that change that I don't have a say in. Right. And yeah. you you do have every reason to be upset about, like uh, I was telling well, another guy that I've been training in one of the other stores because they, they pass me around store to store, so I'm right. in a Journey. variety of different right. places. Absolutely. Um, one of my other coworkers, he couldn't believe that just five years ago, five or six years ago, I was selling 80% burger at two forty nine a pound family pack price every day. And that wasn't on sale. Right. The sale price was a buck ninety nine, and that was a normal sale. Right. You know, no. uh, nowadays you chit your pants over that. You know, that's oh, like yeah, you'd be buying the whole section. Uh, right? People yeah. did, you, you know? know. Yeah. And for a while, uh, until they changed all the numbers, and like I said, you know, there's only so many policies I can shield you from. Um, a lot of the numbers, things we weigh up, you know, there's specific PLUs that you punch into the system, and the system gives you a price per pound. Um, you were given specific PLUs to kind of, this is the new PLU we want you to use, they would tell me. It prices the burger at uh, three forty nine a pound, everyday price, on sale for two forty nine. And I would tell them, hey, you know what, uh, until you take the other PLU out for the two forty nine regular price, that's what I'm going to use, and I don't care if you get mad at me about it. You can't stop me until you remove the PLU. Right. And the number one rule, what you tell me, make the customer happy. So if I'm the only store for 50 miles around that's selling family packs every day at $2.49 a pound, who do you think they're going to come to? I was going to say, where are they going then? And that got me a lot of repertoire with uh, customers. I still have a lot of people that come over from like as far as Ticonderoga, New York, and they still remember, oh, Rob, the guy with the tattoos. Yeah, the cheap burger guy. I remember you, my man. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) When are you going to bring those burger prices back, you know? But that's on the lighter side of it. Um, There's nowadays average price for 80% family pack, like just your regular running prices, right around $4.99 a pound, um, somewhere around that, which is double. That's comparable. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Not even gas raises that much. Four or five years ago, you were probably paying more at the pump. 
than what you're paying right now. Remember that country song, $3 and change at the pump? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the cost of living is going high, and it keeps going up. It is. And you see that in meat more than really almost anything else in the store. That's a, yeah, that is true, isn't it? That's uh, they say meat department only accounts for about 10 to 12, sometimes 15% of a store's total sales. And uh, Really? Yes. Wow. Uh, and this is equivalent to roughly about produce, uh, grocery, we usually reels in about the majority of it, the lion's sure. share. Yeah. Um, deli averages anywhere from like 15 to 20 to 30 percent. Okay. Uh, seafood tails in, in like the single percentiles. Yeah. But, right, um, right. but it is what it is. Your average customer only buys one or two things out of the meat department in a week. In a week. Wow. That is a fact. And the reason being, now, mind you, you probably want to eat more than two pieces of meat in a week, don't yeah. you? But you really <laughs> right. can't afford it if they're right. 10 15 prices, $20 dollars yeah. a pack, yeah, and that's just for one meal. Yeah. You're going to start thinking of other ways to make that rice work for you. You know what I mean? And the pasta is... Start hitting the frozen start, section, right? You get a lot yeah. of people that'll buy the, the one-pounders and they'll split that burger into like, you know, oh, I'll have a burger tonight and then I'll make the rest of the burger in my sauce with my spaghetti the next day. Right. And make two really meals. Really stretch it. Yeah. You know? And now, that and that's only enough really protein in it for really one day. Right. But a lot of people are doing this. Uh, they A lot of people are buying stuff and freezing things. And... They get frustrated with the uh, the price of meat constantly going up and never seeming to go down. Yeah. And there's only so much of that I can justify uh, too. Right. You know. Exactly. So I, I feel your pain. I feel the frustration. Um, because we have a saying with us butchers too, and it, it's a very frank saying: always do your best and always cut your best, because no matter what, at the end of the day. You still have to eat your own shit. Say you're a consumer. So also. Yeah. at the end of the day, I'm still going to stand on the same side of that meat counter as you. I still pay the same price as you for my dinner. Right. The, the butcher's not eating T-bone every night. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, for sure. I can't. I can't it, remember yeah. the last time I had a steak. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's the part that's most frustrating for me is trying to justify that to other people right. and explain, you know, that. It, it just is what it is. Um, if there's a dollar to be made, typically corporate will try to make it off of you. Sure. And if you're willing <laughs> to pay that price, then they have no reason not to. Yeah. So um, really, at the end of the day, if you want to ask me why is it cost of meat going up, because you're letting it go up. You keep say, buying you it. You keep buying it that As way, long as yeah. you keep buying it, they're going to keep selling it to you at that price. And there's just nothing we can do about it. And that's a good chunk of it. Um, some of it is um, how much we pay and we have to charge you, you know. Right. Like uh, a yeah. good example of something that we make like no money on that everybody loves, sirloin tip steak. Mm. Everybody loves a sirloin tip steak. Um, they're something you can throw on the grill. You can marinate them in teriyaki and make yeah, stir fry. So um, it's, it's such an ambidextrous piece. Uh, my daughter goes, oh, that's the that's the one I'm going to like no matter what, Dad, every time oh, I bring that home. Uh, so it's funny. like, yeah, it's a yeah. nice win. But I only bring that home maybe two or three times a year sure, because right. of Just the price. Of the price man. Now, uh, and a lot of people complain, how come you don't put that on sale 
very often. Well, first off, you I don't, don't put choose anything the on sales. sales. Yeah, <laughs> I, <laughs> I wish I did. Yeah, we'd, yeah. we'd be eating ribeye every other week, guys. <laughs> yeah. But sirloin tips—that's uh, something that, believe it or not, um, it, everyday price is around seven ninety-nine a pound. I want to say we pay right about seven forty-nine a pound to bring that in. And that doesn't oh, even cover wow. the cost of shipment. That's the price per Jeez, pound so on the piece of meat. You're losing money so as it comes in the I'm door. I'm really wow. just selling it every day to people, only making about 49 or 50 cents per pound. And wow. most people, most of the time, sirloin tips are one of the very last things that I have to cut. And it's only to replace what's going out of code because nobody bought the last right, stuff. Sure. But you will with the 30% off sticker. I know it. Uh. So. <laughs> Believe me, that's why there's none in my freezer. Yeah. Uh, but... That's something that, you know, we can't shield you from. There's nothing that we can do about it. But it makes it hard to justify that when on the other end of the spectrum, they, you know, they're, they're charging you four ninety nine a pound for burger. Why? Because you keep buying it. Yeah. So Cash 22, man. So people yeah. get mad. They don't quite understand that. That's a, a mouthful just in there to explain to you. So trying to explain that on a smaller scale to all your everyday day, Johnny. Every day. All yeah. day. That's, brutal yeah i was gonna say yeah well that actually also really transitions into the, the next question too here is <laughs> uh so how do you maintain your calm cool demeanor even being attacked by some of the harshest customers how do you maintain that to me this cool all falls back on that very first thing that i am thankful for for acquiring and what I will walk away with, which is that skill of everyday humanity and practical interaction with just whoever. Sure. There's always an X factor when you start, when you talk to anyone. You never know who's on the other end of the spectrum and what they've just what, gone through, what, mood what they're, they're walking in. on sure. into. Sure. Um, you could be like, Someone like, say, for example, my wife who just came out of a 12-hour shift and they're going grocery shopping after right. a 12-hour shift. Yeah. That's nuts. And Zombie there are people mode. that do that, you know? Oh, yeah. And sure. I'm coming up and I'm all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Yeah. And, Hi, how are you? And you, they just, they feel encroached already, you know? Mm. So they may respond in some hostility. And... I try to take everything with a grain of salt, but really it all falls back on just having that element of humanity. The number one thing that I am thankful for for this job is how it taught me to talk to other people mm. and how to, how to read other people. Sure. Because yeah. you never, like, you really never know what situation you're walking into. Um, so when people come at me sideways, I try to think of it as, you know, it's probably not me. Ah, right. They um, got some other baggage. It, like, yeah, I, I don't yeah. like to say, well, I'm not the problem. Because, <laughs> you know, they never, it, I don't know. Maybe I smell. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, it, a lot of people, if when they come at me sideways, I just take it as they're not mad at me. They're mad at something that's about what I'm doing or what I have a, a relation to like the price of meat right you know they're standing yeah. in front of the meat counter and they got 20 bucks for meat for the week and 
believe me, 20 bucks will not get you far yeah, in meat no, for the week. Not at all. And I, I understand that. I feel that. So when, when I get lashed out at, I try to take it as they're not mad at me. They're mad at the, this environment and the way things are. Right. And I'm the just, structure of it. I'm just yeah. kind of an outlet that they're, that gets that for that minute. Yeah. You know, and it's all right. Uh, when I get home, I'll take a puff and think of you, hon. Yeah. Whatever makes you happy. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to lose my job and my wage over no. anybody with an attitude. Um, yeah, it's just, it is what it is. People get mad. People lose their patience. Yeah. It's really not worth responding in a negative way. Yeah, it's really hurting them more at the end of the mm-hmm. day, right? Yeah. Mm, at the end of the day, who's going to feel like a dummy for lashing out at the at the butcher kid, you know? Yeah, right. Come on. Yeah. I'm just going to laugh at you when you walk away anyway. Yeah. So yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I and, didn't say that. Well, the, maybe. And the funny thing is, they're so are oh, some yes. of the surrounding customers, oh, yes. too. Like, I'm just, did you hear that bitch? We're just waiting for you to walk away so we can <laughs> yeah. make a joke about you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Uh, so you mentioned uh, last time we were speaking uh, an interesting trend in who tends to be the most troubling customers. Did mm-hmm. you want to maybe mm-hmm. expand on that oh, a little yeah. bit more? Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was um, I was actually training a guy today from uh, Job Corps, the one store that I was working in today. Okay. We have um, we have the luxury of having what they call an afternoon crew or an evening crew. And it's usually a 3 p.m. till closing or 5 p.m. till closing shift. It's pretty rare these days. And, and which is department. exceedingly rare. And then, mm. as the other saying goes, there's help and then there's good help. Ah, so uh, the guy that very they true. give me today, uh, he's what I would call good help. So I try to stay away in, um, like today, for example, I was scheduled till 5. I could have, excuse me, I could have left at 4. But I decided to stay the, up until five just because there's help and then there's good help. And yeah. this guy, he's good help. And I want to, you know, sort of encourage him to stick around a little while. Sure. So sure. just spending that extra time to, you know, interact with him and say, train again. him up and talk to him a little bit about the job and the people and everything. Um, and what happened today earlier, uh, right before we were about to leave, is he was coming in. And he just had this look of uh, discouragement on his face. And like, I said, damn, I was yeah. like, hey, what's up, bud? And he said, man, I always get these older people that did just, they flip out when you don't have what's on sale. And he's like, I'm just saying, it just seems like I don't get disrespected by people that are my age. And that's all I'm saying. And I told him, honestly, that's the norm nowadays. Mm-hmm. That is... Uh, more or less the way things are That's interesting i'm i'm 28 years old and um in i've been working in retail since i was uh let's uh 16 i started at dunkin donuts oh yeah so okay. no, so no. we got quite a while here of retail. There too man. yeah yeah oh yeah and i did <laughs> and i did <laughs> yeah yeah and uh and the situation was still the same um i was much more likely to be disrespected by someone who was twice my age or older or closer to my parents age than it was my own age that remained true back in 2006 when i was 16 that remains true in 2019 when i'm 28 That's gonna be so 29 wild, you know man. and uh why do you think that is why do i think that is i think the biggest thing is uh as you get older you start to become more out of touch with 
everything. Sure. With technology, with society, with the modernization of social skills and what's considered the social uh, norm, yes. so to say. Okay, um, okay. And I mean, how, how you can scale that down on a way that you would understand. Let's pretend that you just went back to high school. Do you think any of the social groups that you were a part of are even going to exist now? Nightmare. Yeah. It's gonna. Everything's gonna be different. It's all different animals. Uh, Look at like uh, Twenty Two Jump Street with Channing Tatum. You know (laughs) when they think he's going back and he's gonna be the cool guy again, and he ends up completely ostracized. Even though when in their time when they went to high school, he was the man. You know, Uh, he was the jock, the big guy. the main man, yeah, you know, and then yeah. so he thought that was going to translate on a on a decade later spectrum, Not and the case the times have changed. The that group that he was a part of didn't even exist anymore. The the group of friends that whatever class of them that you would have put them in that you were a part of that I was a part of sure. those groups don't exist anymore. Not because they were phased out or anything, just because times change, social norms change, mm. the way that people think and feel is acceptable in everyday interactions, that changes. Uh, look at 50s, a teenage party in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, and they're all in like suits and ties and yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. And it, now, this is a teenage <laughs> party, you know? And, and yeah. I mean, they, they look like they're all, all just got out of court, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, it, so it's, that's just an example of that. Um, and trying to explain that to older customers. Uh, and the older they get, the more out of touch they seem to be with that sort of the way things are changing and the justification behind that. Their right. patience is, uh, you know, they don't want to sure. hear that. Nah, you know, no whatever, patience, your, whatever your BS excuse is, Mr. Meat Man. Right. But uh, the reality of it is, is times change things change, things become more expensive. Meat is a prime example of that, right. pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nice. And <laughs> trying to explain that to people who are, you know, the, I think the older that you get, the more into yourself you get. Self-absorbed, huh? Because yeah. you're, you know, you're, you realize. Self-preservation. Well, it's, it's the chart of uh, mortality. You realize that your time is getting mm. shorter mm. Um, and you really want to make it last. Mm. The everyday, day-to-day, that 24 hours values more to you when you're 40 than when you're 18. Totally. Um, and even more so when you're 60, or sure. the older that you get. Sure. And that's. Sure. That's just, I think, everyone, you know, if you value your life, if you value the things in it, you want to make them last. You want to see the value in it and make it worth it. So you don't have a lot of patience for what you feel is just a waste of time. Right. And if I'm just sitting there slinging excuses at you, the older you are, the more likely you're to think, I'm just wasting your time. So they lose their patience and they snap. Um, (laughs) And that's like I was explaining to my co-worker today you're much more likely to be disrespected by someone who's twice your age than you are someone my age and it's not because of anything you did but it's because of a change in the way that you can't quite summarize and they don't have the time or the patience yeah. to listen to it either way I got a life to take care of, mm-hmm. so I'll get out of my uh, way. And I mean, I get it. Yeah. Ain't nobody got time for that. Yeah. You know? I <laughs> yeah, understand. Still I understand. True. Yeah. And I can't paraphrase <laughs> why meat costs twice now per pound per burger than yeah. it did five years ago in such a short frame that these 45, 50-year-old people 
want to listen to anyway. Right. But someone who's my age, um, you're much more likely to just to have that. Well, you know, I understand. Mm. Uh, you're much more likely to not be disrespected and to have that extra second of, oh, okay, well, it's, well, it's, it's not. I you. get that today's the day of the sale and this is what I came for, but they didn't ship it to you. Right. It's not your fault. Um, I've never ever in my life had someone who even shouted at me that was right around my age. Right. But I have been verbally attacked, uh, yeah. called every name in the book. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah. Had my packages thrown on the ground. Jeez. Um, wow. I don't know why older people seem to think that poking the meat is going to tell you how tender it is. Please stop doing that, people. Please stop poking the meat. It's It's... <laughs> You do that when you're cooking it, you know. The firmness <laughs> of the steak is not going to tell you how tender it's it is. It's still rare. Uh, <laughs> like, you, you still a, haven't cooked it if yet. If you poke it's a like, ribeye by the big piece of fat in the middle, of course, it's going to be freaking hard. It's rare. That it's doesn't mean hard. that it's going to be a hard steak. Uh, yeah, please stop <laughs> sticking your fingers in my meat, oh, people. Um, the, there's a lot that is lost in translation. But yeah. Just to summarize it all, I think the older you get, the less patience that you have for everyday what you would consider BS, and that's different Just for everyone. Yeah. But you know, older the older you get, the less time you have, and yeah, that totally the less sense. excuses you want to hear. Yeah. Wow. That's that's actually a really interesting point too. That I think you. Nailed that on the head, too. Yeah. In a long winded way. Yes. Yeah. No, it was perfect. <laughs> like, and like I said, that's the, trying to paraphrase that in so, so yeah, many different ways. In a matter of Every day. Right, right. To Johnny, who, whatever, who's mad because the chick had rested and you come in. Pretty much impossible. I forget. Yeah. About yeah, it. yeah, it's over. Yeah. Well, actually, I, I think this is a perfect moment to transition over to uh some random questions if you're right, ready for cool, that cool. yes yes i'm so, a pretty random guy so <laughs> uh, oh i like it i like it well let's uh i think i think you're gonna like these so uh, all right the first section is uh just gonna be a couple uh would you rather questions sure just to get it get the ball rolling here so, so a couple of them might be a little heavy so all right no worries no come. worries so the first would you rather yep would you rather know when you're going to die or how you're going to die? Hmm. And why? Well, my immediate leap is to know the when. When. Okay. Uh, and my foremost reasoning for that is uh, knowing the how may or may not be of use, whereas right. knowing when is a gives you a definitive use right off the bat. Sure. It also, um, I mean, I've got anxiety to begin with, so you think I could smoke pot now. Let me tell you what, buddy. Yeah. If I knew when I was going to die, right. forget about Chief it. Chiefing, let's um, go. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I think there would be a certain element of recklessness that would be added to of course. Of course. your actions, too. But I think ultimately knowing when you're going to die is a gift over knowing how you're going to die. Mm. How you're going to die may or may not be something that you can change. Uh, let's, right. let's let's say how your death is uh, ultimately going to be gut rot. So in so many different ways, you could become flat out vegan the very next day, run five k's on the weekends. Everything you might you're still going to get the gut rot, and you're not going to know how. 
Right. Or when. Right. If that's how it's going to go. <laughs> or you know, when. Yeah. You know? So true. But wow. I think knowing when you're going to die ultimately would be a gift more than anything because this gives you the gift of clarity and the value of your time. Right. right. If I knew I was going to die 10 days from today. Mm. Do you think I'm going to go to work tomorrow? Yeah, no. No. <laughs> no. no. And I'm not, even, I'm not going to bother no. explaining myself either. The very first thing I would do is I would get up and I would see everyone that I haven't seen that I could possibly see for, and I haven't seen these people in a long, long time. Sure. Just to make sure they knew how my feelings about them were 100% stated. Right. Whether that's Absolutely. good, whether that's bad. I wouldn't want to leave anything right, unsaid. Right. And definitely. that I think, you know, if you if you know how you're gonna die, you don't know when, right. then you Still might not reason. that's not something that you're gonna think about right off the bat. You're gonna start thinking of how you can change, change that. Or, it, yeah. You know, there, there's it's gonna more be self others, uh, yes, absorbed at that point. Gonna, right? yes, totally, yes. totally. And I, I think for me, if I knew when I was gonna die, the very last thing I would be focused on is myself. Wow. At the time for myself will be at the end. I'll I'll save some time for myself. Sure. Because sure. I know when to how much I'm gonna have. Do, right? You know? And however long or short that can be, um, I mean I'm more than entitled to be selfish about it if I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, totally. But I would like to think that if I knew that I had only had ten days left, I would spend nine of them making sure the people that I love wow. knew that I loved them. Man, that's that's awesome. That was an amazing answer, man. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. Uh, would you rather be deep sea diver or an astronaut? Hmm, that's a really, really open-ended question. Oh, yeah. I love that. See, I um, love open-ended questions, man. <laughs> Take that I, I'm however not, you want. And I, don't quote me on the facts, but I want to say the last okay. time that I had seen it, statistically, we had only explored oh, yeah. somewhere around... I think it was like 12, 15, 18 percent yeah, of our it's an world's ocean. Small it's a really, really, yeah, really small. And um, as the the grandson of Sandra Mancy, the woman who uh, Vermont local legend, our very own woman who for, was the first uh, photographer of our champ, oh, uh, the, the late champ yes. Wayne Monster. Awesome. That was my grandmother, oh, and uh, that was the only cool. photograph ever to this day to. Be proven to be authentic, and this was tested by multiple government agencies that still has tests run on it for authentication wow. all the all the time. And um, real photo, people, real photo. And uh, I mean, what she took a picture of, I would ask her all the time, and she used to just tell me, "You tell me. You guys figure it out." Right. I don't know. I don't, I don't know, know what I took a picture hey, of, but I just I, took I'll, the picture. I yeah. took the picture. <laughs> yeah. That's what counts. Yeah. And uh, yeah, she was right. Now, to this day, that's still a real photograph. What she took a picture of, we may never know. But the point is, there was something in that water that we didn't know about. Um, there's so much down there that we have yet to understand. And I want to say the last time I knew, we discovered anywhere from, a, I think, roughly 10 new species of fish every single day. And yeah, it's oh, it's like that. And they, this is in environments in our ocean that we thought wow, weren't possible to survive in. Right. And really kind of rewrite the books on what we understand as far as biology and 
uh, the survivability of nature. We thought the building blocks for life were carbon and sunlight, uh, and that nothing could ever survive without these two things. And at the darkest depths of our oceans where there is no sunlight, there is no carbon in the water or no oxygen because the pressure is so immense and so thick, thriving environments of creatures that we don't understand at all, not even names for them. Uh, now, and that's just on our own planet. Right. When you think of in space, it's that but and then some like yeah. we're, what we just discussed is just a grain of sand and a plethora of a sandbox so would i rather explore that tiny little fraction or or all of it yeah. or all of it i would have to say i would like to explore all of it so oh, wow. astronaut for 500 please astronaut, mr nicholas huh? um, astronaut it is and the wow. reason being is uh when it comes to the ocean, yes, there is so much we don't know, we don't understand, and that there are so much possibilities. I think that that fact is even more such true uh, when it comes to space. Mm -hmm. There's so many things that we don't understand yeah. and uh, have yet to really even fathom. Yeah, have the capabilities to understand The possibilities that, yeah. are truly, Absolutely. truly endless. So... Um, that, I mean, you could probably, the chances of you making it back to where you came from, even then, if you really had interstellar capabilities to travel, uh, right. the point A, making it to point B, you're really not likely to make it back to point A. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's you're probably moved. Far. Yeah. It's, by the time you're that far gone, I mean, think about it. You look at stars, half of them are dead by the time you're looking at them. It's you true. Know? That's so by the time true. you get there to see what's actually there, where you came They're from gone. is long gone. Yeah, it's over. So, um, oh, yeah, that's it. Once you thought, yeah. once you start, I think with that sort of interstellar travel, um, you'll see a lot of things that don't come back. Um, I think how many satellites we shoot off, and yeah. they, you know they don't come back. Yeah. You know we who, thought they were gonna. Who knows where they are? Now. It, oh, it's <laughs> predicted to wrap around Jupiter and come right back. Well, it went around Jupiter and uh, gone, guys. Nope. <laughs> yeah, and, and this happens. Um, so the possibilities are endless, but I think it, uh, that's also a one-way ticket. Yeah. But if I were knew that that was the career, that if, it was, if I really had the choice, ultimately I'd have to say astronaut. Yeah, yeah. Just because what you're going to see is going to be far more mind-blowing than what you're going to find on our little blue rock. Right, right. Wow. Okay. It's interesting, man. So would you rather be able to delete childhood memories teenage memories or a portion of adult memories hmm. if you had a choice hmm that's a tough one yeah sort of a weird question i would have to say child memories child memories child okay. memories and yeah. the reason being is uh the lessons learned from child memories are far more indelible than any other experience that mm. you're gonna get okay. in your teenage or adult years. Sure. And uh, even though your teenage years go on for a little longer and there's a little more that you remember from them in your adult years, you hopefully mostly you remember. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah <right>. Hopefully, <laughs> uh, the things that happen in your childhood are the shaping of who you are. Right. That is when your mind is the most malleable. Sure. Um. I think the last time I had uh, 
spoken with a child therapist who ended up being a good friend of mine. They were saying that uh, psychologically, uh, the mind of a child is most malleable up until age 12. That's the core of who you are that is formed. Your base, yes. And from there, it's more or less minor tweaks and nuances um, in the teenage years. And then in your adult years, you really kind of... the shaving, cookie's fully baked at that shaving point, the edges you know. Off at that so point, right? I mean, you yeah. might change a little bit here or there. You know, you might read a Nelson Mandela book and get a little more enlightened than you were <laughs> yeah. before. But ultimately, who you are is uh, not going to change at that point. So childhood memories would be the ones that I would delete, but only mm. ones that changed me in a negative way. Oh. Uh, ones that I can go back and say, okay, well, this was particularly traumatizing because it made me, let's say, like more of a coward. You know, a time oh, that okay. I was pushed to the ground and spit on and I didn't stand up for myself. Right. Um, and th- the shame that you feel from that, you sure, know. And that yeah. translates into later on. You know, you get a lot of adults that have like bully issues where they were, were bullied yeah. severely. And, and, now, they're, and now they're issues. introverts, yeah, you know. So true. And, so uh, true. That a lot of people, like, how many times do you see a girl that you, you think is ultimately, like, way out of your league, and they're with Beautiful. someone who's a, yeah. who's a loser, essentially. Oh, I know. And it's because self-esteem, th- their self-esteem yeah. is so shot so that true. they feel like they need to be treated like that just to be validated, because yeah. that's all that they know. That's the norm for them. That's great example. And, yeah. I, and I would wish to go back and delete that part for them, you know? Right, the part that right. made you like feel that's... like... A dirtbag is all that you're worth having in your life uh, yes. because that's what you were treated like, you know. Yeah. I think there's uh, parts of everyone's childhood that we look back and, you know, we don't necessarily think that it was a good thing that happened to us. You know, even don't agree with something that your parents did or you don't like a certain experience that you had and you, you carry that the weight of that experience over into your adult life. Right. And that's part of who you are now. There are a lot of things, uh, examples like that with everyone that are a, sh- a part of who you are now. Things that happened in your childhood that you will never forget yeah. uh, for good and for bad. Sticks with you. You know, yeah, and, so you, and you remember that. I remember every Sunday afternoon eating a salad with my grandpa. And I mean, that was um, just something so simple as eating a salad every Sunday afternoon. In my teenage years, that was my memory. I knew I liked salad. Hmm. I didn't know what was in it or what he put in it. I mean, my grandpa (laughs) passed away when he was 11 years old. And I mean, he was such an honorable man. Uh, Such a by-the-book good guy that that is a childhood memory that I have and I will keep forever. Um, This was a guy who he grew up in a boarding house like Hey Arnold (laughs) with six other Catholic school teachers and those were his uh, legal guardians. His parents weren't around. He had one pair of pants to wear for five days of school Uh, and he turned around to be a drill sergeant in the Air Force, turned around to work for Hamilton Standard, now Hamilton Sunstrand, uh, making field controls for aircraft carriers, and I w- ultimately went on to work for NASA and helped design and build the life support system backpacks for the astronauts on board Apollo in 15 and 16. And I got all that information yeah. on a plaque to prove it. Incredible, so man. a guy that literally came from one pair of pants in a boarding house with no parents to doing something like working for NASA. 
And it was because of his preservation and character and not giving up. And that inspired me. I only had my grandfather in my life for 11 years, but that was all that I needed to give me that building block of just indelible selfishness. Um, I remember a story about him. People used to always come up and say, oh man, Rob, that was your grandfather. Grandpa, Uh, uh, because his name was Rob too. Uh, I remember that guy, living legend, you know, and just uh, anytime anyone came up and started talking about him, I never, ever heard him talked about in a negative light. And it was because of the preservation of his character. And that carries to this day. So I'm so glad and thankful for that. That would be an example of a childhood memory that you keep that and don't you delete. Keep, that builds that. Yeah, and I don't think you roots. have experiences like that so much when you're a teenager or when you're an adult. I mean, uh, you're going to have, you know, your first, like, love experiences that means something to you when you're a teenager. Sure. But your, your premise, your building block, your base of what love is, that's made when you're a child. Yeah, when you're a kid, yeah. That's it. You, that's what you learn to ultimately accept as the norm when you're a teenager, when you're an adult. I think childhood memories are the ones that are the most important to anybody because they are the foundation of who you are. And if I were to delete any of anything, I would delete bad child yeah, memories wow. just to make me a better character, uh, in my opinion. And I mean, this things that may or might, might, you know, I might delete something that is bad and yeah. make myself like a total douchebag. I don't know. Sure, who knows? They, though, you right? never really yeah, know. So I guess yeah. I'm glad I don't have that ability. Uh, yeah. Because <laughs> I'd probably make the wrong choice. I'm pretty yeah. good at making the wrong choice. <laughs> but that's what I would go with because I'd try to make myself a better person. Yeah. Oh, that's dope, man. Strong, strong roots there too, man. Damn. Okay, so it's the last of the would you rather. Let's All right. switch over to a deeper question. Okay. Those were already kind of, you know. All right. So what do you want your legacy to be? I guess that kind of goes kind of with what you were just saying a little bit there. Mm -hmm. My legacy, I would like for more than anything else would, and this is more for my kids' sake than anything, would be to leave a legacy of being an honorable person, Mm -hmm. being a good man, being known for... uh, doing good things for people that even necessarily don't deserve it. Mm. Um, I think there's value to doing things for other people, whether they pay off for you in the end or not, Mm. because ultimately that says more about who you are and who they are. Um, I was always... My interpretation of the meaning of why we're here would be to do more for others than you do for yourself. Mm. Um, my grandpa, a good guy, he always took me to church on Sundays and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah. I ended up being like, you know, fully brought in all that. And I mean, yeah, I don't really, yeah. I didn't really go to church all that much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't, I don't make my kids do it either. Uh, once in a while. Days, yeah. But what I walked away with was again, that sense of morality and uh, do more for others than you do for yourself. And eventually you will be taken care of no matter what, because karma is a wheel. What you put out will come back to you. Like you said, that selflessness, right? So that selfishness, that altruism, um, that would, I want that to be my legacy, you know? And I want people to be able to tell my kids things like what I hear about my grandpa, you know, like, uh, I remember my father telling me a story about my grandpa and uh, 
one time he was just sitting there scratching off tickets. This was when my mom and my dad were just starting to date, you know. And yeah. My mom first started bringing my dad around to meet her parents. Sure. And uh, my grandpa was standing next to my father, and he was scratching off some scratch-off tickets. And he scratched off one for 100 bucks, And he won it. And wow. what, as soon as he realized what he had won, without even thinking about it, he turns and he gave it to my father. And he said, here... Take my daughter out. Go do something nice. Get you guys something nice to eat. You guys haven't done anything for yourselves in a while. Here you go. Wow. And I'm like, what like that. Guy. You know? Instantly. Wow. And, but, and that guy. was the normal for him. Yeah. That's just how he was. That's how Grandpa Rob was. Um, and that was such a powerful thing to me. Yeah. You know? Um, and that was the norm for him. I want, I want to be able to be that good of a guy. Yeah. That people wow. are telling my kids like hey i knew your father he was that kind of guy yeah. the kind of guy that would do something for you without thinking about it you know um i think there's value in that because that sets the precedent of what's expected and this world could do with a lot more yeah. of good expectations no doubt you know no doubt wow that's an awesome answer man <laughs> thank you <laughs> well, yeah so uh Okay, if you could wake up tomorrow having gained one quality or ability, what would it be? Hmm. That's pretty wide open, too, so you can take that. However. Um, oh, my bad. Oh, uh, you're good, you're good. Uh, one quality or ability, if I were to wake up and have that quality and ability, if I were to wake up and be able to change anything about myself, it would be to cut through my bullshit, for a lack oh. of a better word. Okay. okay. Um, what do you mean by that? And what I say is, you know, there's hopefully as an adult, you're realizing now as we get older and a lot of us are starting to, you know, our group of friends and all that, we're starting to come into our almost into our 30s and, you yeah, know, into that close, sort man. of yeah. stage of our life where um, you're really starting to see how things are and the things that are every day that you can change and you can change. Hopefully you're still telling yourself, I need to still be growing. Right. Because personal that growth is, is a never ending thing. That's huge. Personal. Man. And I'll say that again for the people in the back. Personal growth is a never ending thing. You should be 85 years old, 90 years old asking yourself, how can I be better tomorrow? than I was today. Yes. You're never going to be perfect in that regard, so please never stop trying. Yeah, keep uh, going, though. Yeah. Keep that humbleness, because you're never done. You are never done. Um, I would, for lack of a better word, have the ability to call and assert myself on my own ah, bullshit. So check yourself. My, yes, yeah. check myself before I wreck yeah. myself. <laughs> I find a lot of the problems that I have in my life are brought on to myself. Um, yeah, so true. A lot of self-defeating behaviors are what tripped me up when I was younger, you know, like uh, staying back in ninth grade. It was entirely because I'd rather skip school and smoke weed. Uh, um, yep. <laughs> if I had the ability to call myself on my bullshit there and not let that happen, I would have excelled ninth grade, right. tenth grade, eleventh grade, twelfth grade. It would have changed your trajectory. Yes, potentially, yes. Right? But I, I, I lack the discipline. You know, I did not have <laughs> yeah. the discipline, the motivation. I didn't think I was worth anything more than that. Um, I didn't care. I had just lost my mom the year before. I was sure. in foster care. 
I was in five different homes in the first three weeks of uh, being in DCF. Like it was, there was no sense of normalcy or anything like that. So there was a lot of things that really were self-destructive behaviors that I kind of normalized. Sure. And I, I told sure. myself these are these are okay because they're coping mechanisms. Right. right. So I'm just getting through. Yeah, I'm I'm just trying to survive, you know. So and that's what I told myself. But even when that sort of string ran out and I was starting to see more permanent placements, I still kept those self-destructive behaviors. Then mm. that self-sabotaging uh, behavior is exactly what's been my downfall for a long time. A lot of those qualities, you know, they continue to be a part of who I am, and I still try to learn and be better than I was the day before, you know, uh, be more patient than I was, right. you know, all sorts of things. Yeah. Um, so I guess, uh, if anything, I would wake up and just have the ability to see what things I need to change about myself. And actually follow through with it. Yeah. You know, not be the guy so, that says, oh, yeah, I'm not going to lie to myself and say I'm going to get that six-pack back. But it was never there, and I'm not going to have it. It's right. a keg, and it's going to stay a keg. Right. Um, but realistic. But, but realistic things, you know, yeah. saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to get up and brush my teeth and floss and shower and shave every single day. Not that I don't, but I definitely don't get up and shave every day. Yeah, that's for sure. sure. <laughs> you sure, know? sure. And I'm not going to lie to myself, but if I set that as a goal to not even have that moment of doubt, yeah. you know, if I get up and say, I'm going to quit smoking cigarettes, then have no doubt in my mind that that's what I'm going that's to do. That's what you're doing. See yeah. the goal, aim straight for it, no hesitation. It's that discipline you know? because, that you were And to about, have right? that discipline. Have that discipline. I think that's, uh, and I mean, there, I don't know anybody on the planet that can do that, you know. Not yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, man. You're yeah right about let's that. look look at Bruce Lee. He was probably one of the healthiest people there ever was, um, and he would just agree with people to, to get them to stop talking because he didn't have <laughs> patience for anybody, you know. Oh, and that's a character flaw: not yeah. having patience to listen to and hear somebody out for their point of view. Um, that's a lack of empathy. Yeah, that's something you should try to change, uh, but. Sure. You know, having knowing what to change and actually doing it are different things. And True. to not have that hesitation, to to be able to set my own goal and 100% go after it with no hesitation. Cut through my bullshit, Cut for lack of a better bullshit. word. I like that, though. I like that would that. be what I would wake up I and like change. That. That's dope. Man, another, man, another great answer, man. Yes. <laughs> So uh, I think I think we'll probably wrap it up on this last one here. Though, All right. I think this is a good one to go out on here. All righty. What would you say is your most treasured memory? Hmm. My most treasured memory, mm. I think, uh, the way that I would put this is uh, my most treasured memory is no different than yours. But the setting, how it goes down, okay. is more or less, is always going to be different. And it's going to be different for everyone. But my most treasured memory is undoubtedly, has a lot of similar qualities to yours. And I have no idea what yours sure, is. And I'm going sure. to tell you why. I like what this is said. My most treasured memory, when I think of something that I most fondly remember, it's instantly a comfort place. I'm okay. sure yours is too. Yeah. A place where you felt... Happy, genuinely happy. It was a time in your life sure. when you were just, there was no other reason but not to be happy. Right. 
Um, okay. Uh, for me, my most treasured memory is uh, about being a boy, 10 or 11 or 12 years old. It doesn't really matter sure. because the place that I always was was the same. And I don't exactly know where it is, but uh, it's somewhere along the beach of Cape Cod. Mm, right. And someday I'm going to go back there. I yeah, really am. Yeah. And I will, I don't know exactly know where this place is uh, on a map, but I will know where I am when I'm standing there because it is my most treasured memory. And um, it was standing on the beach of Cape Cod with my family, my grandma, my grandpa, my mom, my brother, and uh, my dad even sometimes too. Yeah, Because wow. he would come down and go fishing with me on that. Yeah. And we caught a big old bass one time right there, off the, right on the coast of Cape Cod. Score. And, oh, he was so proud. I still <laughs> yeah. got that picture because he left me on the beach and ran up to the house to get a picture <laughs> with this foot and a half long bass. This you know, amazing. He was so stoked. He left me behind. Oh, geez. Don't take you that the wrong way. My yeah, dad loves yeah. me to pieces. If you hear him talk about me, you can tell he's, he's he loves his kids. Yeah. Just wanted um, to capture the moment, but, uh, but right? Oh, he yeah. was just love-struck with that bass. <laughs> <laughs> but that place, standing there on the beach of Cape Cod, looking out, seeing the old battleship where uh, my grandpa, the former drill sergeant right. in the Navy, he, his military knowledge telling me, yeah, they, they, they sunk that thing out there. They scuttled the ship in World War II or something, and the Navy still uses it for their bombing run, target practice, and all that stuff. And yeah. Uh, they had certain days where they knew that they weren't, no one would use it. So you were actually allowed, if you were on a boat, you could go out there Check and you could out. see it. Oh, and cool. I, apparently wow. there's a lot of, you could see a lot of sharks. The water's really clear. Oh. It's a really cool place. It was, a, so wow. there's a lot of people that go there. I'll know where that place is when I'm standing there again. Right. Um, that's my most fondest memory because that's the place that when I think of, I feel nothing but safe. Yeah. There's nothing but a good time. It's your happy place. It was yeah. a vacation that um, my family, we took every year uh, from when I was like two, three years old. Uh, I got pictures where my, my brother's in a baby carriage on the beach oh, with my yeah. mom in her wow. hippie clothes oh, and yeah. tie-dye shirt <laughs> and, you know, wild, crazy, curly hair and the big old glasses that they all wore back oh, then. Yeah. And, you know, and there we were, um, me and my mom, a total flower child. And, Oof, early 90s, right? Yep, yeah, flying a kite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. In my Echo Unlimited jeans. <laughs> yeah. and Oh, yeah. That was a cool kid, let me tell you. Oh, man. Uh, and I, I, I think of that place, and it brings me nothing but calmness and security right. and happiness. Mm. It's It's... In my mind, my happy place. When I spread my uh, my mom and my grandma's ashes and my grandfather's, that's where I'll spread them. Mm. I don't know where this place is at Cape Cod, uh, yeah. on that beach, but I'll know where where I'm at when I'm standing when there. You're there, man. And the reason I say that it's probably no different than yours is because when you think of your fondest memory, the thing that you most treasure, I. I don't know what it is, but I guarantee mm. it's a memory where you feel safe and happy and you have yeah, no reason but peaceful. to feel happy. Yeah, peaceful, right? Wow. Damn, man. That's that's amazing. That's such a good way to... I think that's the perfect end of this great interview Thank you, here, thank man. you. Yes. Well, thank you for uh, your Absolutely. time and joining Absolutely. me too, Thank man. you for having me, everybody. Yes, yes. Thank you. So, uh, all right. That's going to wrap up another episode. And, uh, yeah, we out. Adios.